<laughs> I probably shouldn't as much as I do, but there you go. Uh, I mean, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, so uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm here with Matt uh, Agorist, who is a former USMC intelligence sergeant tasked by the NSA and the current editor-in-chief at the Free Thought Project. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a pleasure to get to chat to you. Um, I've been yeah following the free uh, free thought project. That's quite a yeah tongue twister um, <laughs> for for a little bit of time now, and yeah, really enjoyed enjoy the journalism. And you guys actually cover things that are are actually happening in the world, and this is increasingly difficult to find um, outlets that do that. So uh, thanks a lot for for doing that, man. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, we can't rely on the the sources within the media like we used to you know everybody's kind of moving to substack and doing their independent thing because they're just getting driven out of these these once mainstream sources yeah so well, when you tell people a little bit about the free thought project and and like how you first got involved with it for sure so um so I actually I have a kind of a crazy story I was actually like the guy that I kind of challenge now with the free thought project I started out I was in the marine corps like you just said and I was this hardcore neocon who supported wars, you know, supported every war that we were in. I, I was the guy that was saying, well, after 9-11 happened, you know, we need to turn the whole place into a parking lot. I was very confused and misinformed. And I had bought into this whole they hate our freedom thing. And it took me a long time. I actually crossed paths with several different people who challenged me and made me question my reality. It, I mean, it, it was a reality. It was my reality was that the U.S. could do no harm and we could invade all these different countries who, you know, and that was the right thing to do. And eventually um, around 2008, Ron Paul came on the scene or 2007 and a buddy of mine that was in the Marine Corps currently still is, I believe he's like, a, he might be a general or so now. Um, he actually told me to check out Ron Paul. And so I, I listened to him because he was still, you know, he was in the Marine Corps. I still supported all the militarism and everything like that. And um, Ron Paul changed my world. You know, <laughs> he talked about how the U.S. invading these countries wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't the is not freedom. It's it's policing the world. And they the, there's very few people who benefit except for the special interests. So I started once that like something switched in my head and I immediately had to just start yelling from the rooftops. So. Around 2008, I started a page on MySpace, <laughs> believe it or not, and I was I was shouting at people's faces on MySpace. And then 2009, Facebook popped up, and I I uh, started doing it there. And I was not the the best presenter of information. I was very angry that I had been lied to for this whole time, so I I wasn't changing very many minds. And so for two years, I just I made a bunch of enemies of family and friends, you know, just yelling at them all the time. And I eventually was like, man, this isn't changing anybody's mind. So uh, I started being nice about the way I presented it, you know, became more articulate and and did better research and better fact checking. And so this way I could, you know, I could just catch people and be like, look, this is this is how, why it's like this, you know. And my dad, even we got in an argument because he didn't even know that Tower 7 had fallen. And so this was just mind blowing to me, you know, on 9-11, I'm talking about. It was mind blowing to me. So, I'm with you. <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> I had um, like he was completely in denial. I was like, no other tower fell. No, you know, like, wow, dad, come on. 
Um, but you know, so I started some Facebook pages, uh, to promote volunteerism and I did it like without being an, an asshole, you know? And then I met on these pages, I met a person who owns a news media website and J my co-founder in the free thought project, Jason Bassler was working for him. And, uh, so we met through this mutual employer who hired me on to write and edit articles and such. And, uh, like we, it ended on bad terms. He kind of like stiffed us and didn't pay us. And that's why I'm not going to mention his name or anything like that. But uh, so Jason and I were like, we we're left homeless for a minute and we we're like, let's start our own. So we thought for months and months about the name and we finally came up with the free thought project and we went online in October of 2013. And it's been a crazy ride ever since, man. Like we quickly blew up. We were the in the top 500 Alexa ranked websites in the world. You know, I think we were ranked 411th or 412th within just 12 months of coming online. We clearly demonstrated that there was a void in the market for this type of information. You know, there was, there's very few people that come from, come at police accountability from a libertarian perspective, you know, and that's what we mainly started out in was police accountability. Uh, most of it is this, this leftist police agenda, you know, like, where there's very few solutions offered. It's just basically yelling, shut down the police, defund the police, everything like this. And uh, we're all for, you know, defund the police. We should have competition for police. You know, there shouldn't, there shouldn't be a monopoly on the, on police power and a security force in this country, but no one talks about all that. So we found ourselves, you know, resonating with, with millions, literally millions of people every day. And we were reaching somewhere between 50 and 80,000 or not 80,000, 50 and 80 million people per day on all of our platforms. Whoa. And we quickly glued to, you know, to grew to around six, 7 million fans on all these different platforms. And then one day in 2018, uh, we were wiped off the face of the internet, all six million, 6 million viewers or, or fans and followers gone on both Twitter and Facebook uh, within hours of each other. They uh, we completely wiped us off of the off the Internet. And what? so and we got uh, actually got a hit on YouTube as well that day, showing that it was like kind of like a coordinated attack against the Free Thought Project. It was national news at the time, if you remember. Um, I think uh, we uh, yeah, it was it was like a tornado when when whenever that happened. Um, I was actually on the way out to my uh, cabin with my son and I ended up having a live stream from the cabin the whole time. It just because everybody wanted to interview. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, but ever since then, we've been fighting the censorship. We came right back online just days later, you know, and, and we just, every time they knock us out, we, we start back up and, um, we're trying to be that media apparatus that is, is kind of lacking right now out there. You know, it's, uh, they have some, don't get me wrong. We have some great people out there doing some really good work, but as far as like a, a daily news site goes from, uh, you know, from the, this, this free market libertarian mindset, we don't really have it. We have reason magazine and like the Cato Institute, but they don't really pick up on like the daily news and, and kind of, you know, they don't, they don't report so much on that. They, they do a lot of a little bit of different type of reporting, but there's still nobody out there doing police accountability from this standpoint. And uh, so that's what we're doing right now. And it's a like I said, it's an uphill battle. And uh, the censorship is is constant. We're constantly getting erroneous fact checks on Facebook and everywhere and like that, that aren't true. Like they say that this information is 
they can't say that it's false anymore because it's verifiably true with all this, all these different things. So every time we get one of these fact checks, it's uh it's claimed to be misleading because they don't like the spin like our from our freedom minded um angles that we put on all the news you know that they, they, they say that it's misleading so we get fact checked all the time but we're presenting real information and factual information they just it's a crazy it's a crazy world out there right now man <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's probably the understatement of the century <laughs> it's 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 wild out there at the minute i've had some some people on talking to me about real scary things at google um i had robert epstein um talking about the ways in which uh google have have the ability to yeah, sway entire like swathes of the population just based on either getting blacklisted on their search search rankings or even just the way where you appear um, in them or whether you appear at all and uh, just the amount of power that has in changing people's minds. So uh, it's yeah yeah we are in a scary time. It's uh... yeah and the, just speaking of Google like their search ranking engines like they can manipulate entire swaths of millions and millions of people or billions of people you know. <laughs> Like just to put it in perspective, so like in 2015, 2016, we were doing more traffic through Google, just organic Google searches than we do now in an entire month of all traffic sources. So that's how much it's. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's gone down that much. Yes, it's can, gone down by 99 percent. You know, you we, we were doing we'll do in a day. I mean. What we used to do in a day, we do all month long now. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty depressing. <laughs> and can you see like if you looked at trends, like Google Trends, or like how many people are searching for the Free Thought Project, or was it more that like your articles were coming up when people were searching for just news about certain things, and now they've just like like deranked you when when people are searching for things that aren't maybe specifically the Free Thought Project. Right. I think they first off they removed our uh, our news ranking, so we no longer show up in news results because we're the uh, you know considered like opinion editorial. But there's still so many other um, media outlets out there that that show up in news rankings, uh, like Raw Story, for instance. You know that's a they're in they're in the news section, and I just I don't understand how they can be in there and, and we can't. But yeah, so they've completely turned down the dial on our search engine. Uh, results and like so we get way more people from duck duck go now even bing we get more people from than we get on google mm. yeah i mean i guess it's about yeah things like substack you've said sort of helps people to build out this like a, a network without relying on those traditionally sort of larger i say traditionally they've been around like 10 12 years but traditionally relied upon <laughs> or at least not in the internet um of the past 10 years so um i'm curious to go back just like a little bit here um mm. When you when you said like a, a friend of you had recommended Ron Paul and like something clicked for you, like you really started to um, see and uh, like a different way of looking at, at, at war and American militarism and, and all this. When you started speaking out about it, and were you still in the Marines at that time, or no. did you quit so, um, and then? Yeah, go. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, just ba yeah. Basically, like, when did you quit, and like, when did this uh, sort of revelation happen with Ron Paul, or did it start whilst you were inside the military? No, so I wasn't still in the military when all that happened. I got out of the military just before nine eleven, like weeks before nine eleven happened, or actually months. Sorry, not weeks, but and they tried to call me back in, <clears throat> and um, 
I had just gotten freedom for the first time and <laughs> I was like bartending and there was, there's a, there's a shortage of good looking women in the Marine Corps and I, uh, <laughs> no offense Marines, you know, <laughs> but when I got out, I was a bartender and it was like, uh, something that I'd never seen before, you know, or hadn't seen in a very long time. So I did not want to go back in. I'm glad I didn't. I had a lot of friends who did go back in and, so, you know, lots of them have PTSD, lots of them hurt a lot of innocent people, like, I mean, talking children and stuff. So um, one of one of my good, good friends who was in, he was uh, he was in like the reconnaissance platoon. I was in intelligence in the Marine Corps. And we, what we did was that we like we spied on people uh, by sneaking up close to them and setting up radios and antennas next to wherever they are. And we could intercept their communications. My job title was literally communication intercept operator and uh the nsa was would tell us what to you know who to go to who to listen to and so we got to grow beards and long hair and stuff so we couldn't you know we couldn't um look like military we would just check into hotels we didn't fight anybody i never like you know shot guns at anybody or anything like that we did we would go in ahead way ahead of any kind of military installation or anything like that and and that's what we did uh and I was I was looking at some pictures from that time uh, not too long ago, and it's hilarious. Like I don't know, you see, have you seen those memes online where they have like the cops at at protests that are undercover, and everybody knows they're cops except you know they think they're all fitting in. That's exactly what I looked like. That's exactly what we all looked like. I'm like we weren't fooling anybody, you know. <laughs> Even though we had beards and long hair and we weren't in, in, you know, in our camouflage uniforms and stuff, but like we still stood out like a sore thumb, like, oh, my God, dude, I can't believe I thought I was this like high speed, you know, intelligence spy at the time. <clears throat> but, yeah, so luckily I didn't go back in. Um, a lot of my friends did. And a lot of them hurt innocent people and they're still dealing with that trauma right now. They're they're, you know, like one of the guys shot in a whole minivan of a family and it was like four kids and the mom and uh and the dad and they killed all of them they had like held up some post or something and this van didn't stop because they didn't read english and they didn't speak english and so they just opened fire on them and that tore this guy up for decades i mean he's just now coming about to where you know he's got a steady job and everything and but i mean he was he was just moving around the country i think he was homeless at a, at some point you know and I mean, I mean, it's what he did is, is, is unforgivable, you know, but I mean, that's, that's what was happening at the time. That's what people were doing. And when he told me that, like, that was another step in my awakening process. When he told me that, I was like, dude, that they should have stopped, you know? And he's like, yeah, but they, you know, I shouldn't even have been there. I'm like, yeah, man, you're protecting freedom, you know? And mm. he's like, no, <laughs> no, no, we weren't. And he was really good friends with this other guy that made it to that he's like either a colonel or or maybe a, a brigadier general right now uh but yeah those two people played a key role in in waking me up you know whenever this guy's telling me that he did some bad stuff over there um it was weird to hear that you know i thought the u.s could do no harm and we couldn't do anything like that so that it all just started to weigh down on me i'm like man this is is this isn't this isn't right this isn't you know this isn't what i thought everything was and uh, and then Smedley Butler, <laughs> as a Marine, you learn a lot about Smedley Butler because he was the, uh, he's a, he was a general and he was like the only person to ever win the medal of honor twice. 
So you learn a whole bunch about him, except for what he did when he got out. And I started reading. Uh, I actually read one of his speeches that he gave. It's about a, you know, it's a, it's a short essay, maybe 40 pages called War is a Racket. And in there, he talks about, he details his time about how he was just a, basically a strong arm for special interests that the U.S. sent around the uh, the country. I mean, the world, you know, just to to enrich just a few a few handful of a handful of people. And when I saw that too, was was Smedley but Smedley Butler, this guy that we've been idolizing for for years in the Marine Corps, actually devoted the rest of his life after getting out of the Marine Corps to talking shit about it, you know, to, to actually waking people up to the horrors of war and, and who is behind these wars and who profits from them and why they happen. And seeing that, that's just, uh, you know, that was a, that shook me out of my stupor as well. And, and uh, I mean, it, it wasn't like this overnight thing. This is like a long process. I, I kind of went to the zeitgeist movement for a little while. I was trying to find my place, you know, and uh, the, the zeitgeist movement kind of like was a little bit too socialist. I had my friends here challenge me on that and like just moved me into this volunteerism uh, arena. And that's kind of where I haven't been able to challenge or haven't been able to defeat that logically yet. So I keep challenging it and it holds up. So I, until I can actually defeat it, then, you know, I'll, I'll be here for a while. Yeah. So, in then the the next thing I wanted to turn to that we talked about um, a little bit before um, was the the introduction of CBDCs. So um, it's been you covered it on the the Free Thought Project, um, and it's probably a thing that people listening to the show are fairly familiar with. But like just for people who aren't, um, the CBDC is a central bank digital currency that would be issued by the central bank of uh, whatever nation you happen to live in. Like the, just like the, the Federal Reserve issues the dollar, the Bank of England issues the pound, the, the European Central Bank issues the euro, that sort of thing, except it would be completely digital. Um, except there's another extra little fun component that means it would also allow the money to be programmed so that people could dictate, or well, the government could dictate how the money got spent and yeah how i see this painted as this horror story right as the way forwards <laughs> which it obviously is right but people talk about it like it's an inevitable uh, inevitability to what extent do you think that's this is really a threat that people would like surely people wouldn't actually just like sleepwalk into something this stupid well it looks <laughs> like we have been for you know for several years now this has been it was the a central bank digital currency was was a conspiracy theory four or five years ago, maybe not, maybe a little longer than that. But like digital currencies uh, with government run were were basically what we were warning everybody about back then. And and now, you know, like the the we have countries across the planet all with their central banks pushing for these. In the U.S., we had the uh, the Office of Financial Research who just put out a paper recommending central bank digital currencies as a means of preventing bank runs. Like this is what they're they're planning because I guess they suspect that bank runs might happen in the near future. So the, they put out a working paper in July of this year talking about how beneficial a CBDC would be because it could prevent the bank run because they could just turn the money off. And 
if we, if we want to look at the example of how terrible this could go, we could just look at China, who's had CBDCs, been using the digital wand for years now, and it's actually tied to their social credit score. So people can turn off their money. The government, the state can turn off their money instantly if you disagree with them or there's they actually use all kinds of reasons. They're like if you buy unhealthy food or if you do like not just disagreeing with the state, but they use the CBDC punishment to implement like behavioral control. And so that's like the, the I see like that's the worst case where we could get to and it could get I mean, I'm sure China's is, is, is even going to get worse. But we can look at what Trudeau did during the trucker rally in Canada, what Justin Trudeau did. And he didn't have a CBDC, but he had banks close, freeze everybody's account who was participating in this. And they hadn't committed any crimes. Right. They they I mean, they were merely I forget what the the protections are in Canada for free speech, but they were merely practicing their right to free speech and assemble and the dictator in chief, Justin Trudeau, froze their bank accounts. I believe some people in the United States that were materially supporting that even had their bank accounts frozen temporarily in the United States as well. So that yes. right there is a prime example of why we should not have anything like that. I mean, the government's ability to be able to turn off your ability to purchase things and, and survive is is really scary. And I think we need to everybody needs to stand against this right now. It just like you said, it, it it sounds so crazy. Like no one's like, no, we're not going to sleepwalk into this, but we are. Like the the White House this week just put out, or or maybe it was last week, um, just put out a statement about how there's too many risks associated with the free market uh, digital currencies like Bitcoin, but their state controlled CBDCs come with plenty of benefits and the backing of the Federal Reserve and. So th- this is happening. This is not something that like, you know, that we were warning about now that this is in action. We have the Federal Reserve talking about it. We have the, you know, the, the U.S. Department of Treasury is doing working papers or committing to writing working papers on this. This is unfolding and it's, it's pretty scary, man. Like if, if now is the time to start getting into Bitcoin and getting into or, or other cryptocurrencies that are more private or that you can hedge against this what I think is, unless something very dramatic happens, is coming within the next year or two. Oh, that's quite a prediction. I really it's, hope it's, it's not. It's ramping up so quickly. I mean, there's countries are there's over like three dozen countries already who have done it. You know, we already we're already advocating for it. the like this is going fast. Like that working paper came out in July, and here on Friday or Thursday of last week, we had the White House, you know, putting up the like greasing the skids to roll this program out. And I guarantee you it's already ready. It's, they're just uh, just implementing it slow and slowly and slowly like the frog in the boiling water. And I, it's just going to spring up on us one day and it won't, it's not going to, it's not going to replace the paper money at first. They're going to have to just keep squeezing us out. There's going to have, they're going to have to tie terrorism to cash some more and, and and drugs and all this and then they'll like slowly start to squeeze that out and more and more people will be like okay let's take the cbdc's you know but uh so it's not going to happen overnight but in two years i guarantee you that you can mark my words that cbdc's will probably be in circulation in the united states that is quite a that is that is a horrifying horrifying prospect 
Um, I, I mean, do- if not in all the West, you know, like you too. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, no, I know. There. I don't think we're fucking safe. <laughs> do you know what the problem is, right? The biggest problem is that like Fed, Fed coin or whatever it ends up being sounds awful, right? Ours is apparently going to be called Britcoin, which is amazing. That sounds that sounds great. Like <laughs> so, <laughs> you'll get the anti-euro folks on, on board with it. You know, exactly. they're like, "Oh, we don't have to be in the euro anymore. We can go back to sovereign money." Yeah. Well, no, we were never. We never took the euro. Actually, we've been on the the. We've been sterling the entire time, because um, the yeah the British government didn't want to take the euro. Right, but it's accepted in Britain, right? Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, you could no? change it, but oh. we, you can't really use it here. I mean, there's occasionally a shop that might take it, but but not okay. really. Um, I'm showing my ignorance, man. I apologize for that. I, I thought it was completely accepted in the UK. No, no. I mean, uh, there's some places in Northern Ireland that'll take it because it's right across the border. Um, the Republic of Ireland has has the euro, but um, no, in, in England they don't. Unless someone might correct me here, but I've never seen a shop that would take it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I wanted to just um, query something you'd said there about China having already got a CBDC. Because like, I was looking, I was just like doing some some brief searches here. I'd say some Googling, but I'm not on Google anymore. Up up a brave search engine. Um, <laughs> but they said that they're doing just trials of this at the minute, trials of CBDCs. Right. So do you mean that that's now rolled out to the whole of uh, of China? Um, or do you mean that like they're able to exercise control over people's bank accounts in the same way that they would do with a CBDC? Right. In the trial run, the people that are on the CBDCs, are, that's what they've been doing. That's what we've been seeing is uh, these isolated examples of them freezing freezing their money or, or punishing them temporarily for purchasing different kinds of groceries and uh, or unhealthy groceries or speaking out. So yeah, this is it's that's what I'm saying is going to happen here in a few years is they're going to slowly trickle it into society, you know, make it voluntary at first, and then eventually you'll have no choice. And eventually the Chinese won't have a choice in the matter. Yeah, it says here, trials of the country, this is about China, it says trials of the country's central bank digital currency have been taking place over the past two years. Oh, wow. Okay. And they've been generally citywide and taking the form of lotteries. Oh, lotteries, they make it sound like a great thing to win. Oh, yay. <laughs> um 140 million people had opened CENY wallets. Wow. 140 million. That's pretty big uptake. Yeah, that's a big trial. Yeah. It's half the population of this country. So, and yeah. almost twice of the UK. So, yeah, they're, uh, they've rolled it out. And if you see what Canada has been saying there, they've, they've been preparing for this whole thing too. You know, the, 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 uh, I forget, um, they, they're rolling out this with the digital ID as well. I, they, there was a video on Twitter. I'm trying to remember who it was that, that it was a, a Canadian like central bank authority had put this video out urging everybody or telling everybody about the amazing benefits to, to digital IDs and central bank digital currencies and how it'll help deter criminals and, and, you know, like reduce inflation, all these benefits, but a criminal is anybody that says the, the state says is breaking a law. And as we know, there, there's a lot of laws that don't have any victims. So you could be considered a criminal at any point And just because the state says so, and then boom, you know, your, your, your money's frozen. And most people don't even protest that, you know, if they make something illegal, the people are like, Oh, you shouldn't have broke the law. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a concerning trend, isn't it? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil Parmenter, that's the guy. He's the uh, he's the CEO of the um, Canadian Bankers Association. 
he's the one that came out with that creepy video. And at the end of it, I believe he said something like, and the World Economic Forum agrees. So it's like, this is all tied into this revolutionary global elite who are implementing their will with no democracy, no voting, nothing like that at all. It's uh, it's pretty crazy that we're just watching this. Oh yeah, and no yeah, one really cares. <laughs> I, find, I find the video. I've, I've I've definitely just blasted people with the sign from it while I was recording there. But uh, it says Canada is on the. It's this guy talking. It says Canada's on the cusp of a revolutionary innovation that will transform the way Canadians identify themselves and protect their identity. Digital ID. Yeah, you see, it's done All as, of us as are living a, as in a digital a... world, and we're tethered to an analog mode of how we identify ourselves. Memorizing countless online passports, carrying government-issued licenses, plastic cards, and more. Jeez, this thing sounds like a great idea, man. Like, I, I don't know what you mean. I, I can just have one device. And yeah, I, all on your phone. Fine. All on my phone. And better yet, then they could just, like, tattoo it on me. Like, give me, like, a little <laughs> chip. And then that would, that, that would be lovely, right? Yeah, and we have them talking about that too. <laughs> yeah, we do. There's yeah, there's some creepy ass videos of of, of incredibly. Klaus Schwab talks <sighs> about it openly about microchipping human beings so we can track them more efficiently, and it's crazy, man. I mean, Alex Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, several years back was talking about microchipping pills so you can force compliance with taking the pharmaceuticals that you get prescribed. It's yeah. the. <laughs> These people have been saying some utterly insane stuff for years and no one's like the, the fact checking army and militia. And I like to call them the Praetorian guard has been doing such a good job that so many people are left in the dark. You know, I think like COVID was a good uh, like catalyst for, for shaking a lot of people out of their stupor and sending them in down these rabbit holes and stuff. But unfortunately, there was so much misinformation out there with this QAnon stuff and and all these different conspiracy theories that aren't real. Mm. You know, it kind of muddied the waters. And I think that that was probably deliberate. But yeah, I was about so, to say, do you think those were psyops, like the deliberate attempts to muddy the waters? Right. Q certainly looks like it was a psyop. I know they try to make it look like it was this one guy, Ron Watkins, you know, doing the whole thing. But you don't have like General Flynn saying these things like where we go one and we, where we go all by this one guy, right? There's no way. And there was definitely a coordinated effort. And it, it seems like, you know, that would be some kind of like COINTEL pro operation where they can just go in there and uh, take over the, take over the people that might be waking up and feed them a bunch of gibberish. You know, like I had so many friends that got into that and they were telling me, dude, these people are eating babies and, like, yeah, well, I mean, I think they, you know, some people might be eating babies, but it's not, it's not like that. There's a massive sex tracking, trafficking operation going on, but it's not just all the liberals, you know, and then <laughs> it's so crazy. Like it's, <laughs> it completely people like it completely split people's minds in two where, and if you, it's true too, you can go to Twitter and all the left calls out the right wing pedophiles and all, all the right calls out only the left wing pedophiles. It's it's a it's amazing, man, to watch that happen. Yeah, and it's because of things like that, like these Cointel Pro programs, I believe, that are, are meant to continue to keep people into these little boxes of left and right and make them easy to control. Yeah, I think there's like some there's some, definitely some human psychology in it though as well that pe- people people love to to be on the good the good team. 
you know, they, they want to be the good guys. And the other ones, they're the evil guys. They're, you know, they're the, the Voldemort. They're the, the, the Hitler, the, the, you know, whoever the fucking villain is that we want to talk about. <laughs> um, and uh, like people want to be on, on the, you know, the, they want to be on the good team. They want to be fighting with Harry and all the wizards and against like the evil dudes, you know, that people, people like to win. Um, but like this, this kind of brings me to like a, a, something I, I was wondering about with the CBDCs. Cause like, it seems like such a horrendous idea, right? Like such a horrendous idea that you would like to hope that what little credibility still exists within journalism would would mean that enough people would would get like you would see like pieces on it like about by like NPR or PBS or or in the UK like the BBC Panorama or or something like you'd expect someone to be going hey guys this is a horrible horrible idea and here's why someone in the mainstream right but you don't like and maybe it's because like a lot of people haven't even realized that this is coming and I get I, I get the feeling that's probably a fair portion especially especially given how out of touch some of the like you know gods the normies of, yeah <laughs> no but i i mean even i mean even like the, the mainstream journalists like you know even well qualified and uh, like you know good ones it's just like this is is it to people who look at this a lot it seems like a huge thing but but if you mentioned cbdc to most of these people i'd i'd say they would just say i've no idea what you're talking about so like do you do you think that this is like just ignorance uh, and just like humans doing what they do and stumble blindly into problems and bounce off things until we somehow come out the other side or is it like is, is there like an active attempt to not discuss this or not explain it well there's certainly like you just said that there's a lack of reporting on it in any media outlet whatsoever it seems like it's you know, it's a taboo subject to touch on or maybe too technical for some people to even think about. But when, you, when you're talking about everybody's money, that's like a serious subject. You'd think it would be completely newsworthy and, and you would see a lot of people talking about it. But if you put on a tinfoil hat for a moment, you can see that, uh, you know, the, the Council on Foreign Relations and the uh, Atlantic Council have both been pushing the central bank digital currencies for a while now. They have several articles on them. And if you look at the ties from the count, the CFR, you know, down towards the media, and it, you can see that they're tied to basically 99% of all media outlets in the world, <clears throat> uh, or at least in, in this country. And so even though they're putting these papers out on it, you know, the, maybe there is some undertone of like, or some behind the scenes talking that, that tries to that they want to suppress it. They're like, don't talk bad about this. You know, don't say anything bad about this. I mean, we could just look at reporting on vaccinations and the control that came down from that. Like the, the U S government was actually paying the media not to report on the negative, any of the negative effects of the vaccine. So it's not like this is some far-fetched um, idea that it couldn't happen. But I mean, if we look at the ties that just back to the CFR, for example, uh, there, you know, there, they're, we're talking about media execs and and people, even even broadcasters, like people that are on TV. So it wouldn't surprise me if this was being deliberately suppressed. But again, like you said, it might be just people are just have become complacent. They don't really care anymore. And uh, 
and they're like, oh, that'll never happen. And we're just all frogs in the water and it's boiling. We're, it's going to be too late. I, I, I fear that that might might be what happens, man. Hang and, on, not- and it's because of this. It's complacency, but I think it's engineered complacency thanks to people letting the fact checkers do all the thinking for them now. So like you don't even you, Snopes was awesome when it first came out 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you know. It was like, man, someone told me some crazy stuff online. Let me go check Snopes. And but now it's like it's people have become so lazy that they don't actually challenge it. Snopes has fact fact checked us several times and claimed that what we said is false when it's verifiably true. And I I couldn't pull up the examples. These happened like in 2015 and 16. But uh, like that that's what that's this mental laziness that people have these days where and they're being conditioned by that you know we have that online we have all these agencies telling us like look there's dangerous people out there with this information that or misinformation that you you shouldn't know so let us do the thinking for you we're going to tell you what what is good and what is not good and so most people aren't even exposed to this and so it might even maybe even some of these mainstream outlets are scared of being hit with a fact check by these but, but for reporting on a CBDC, they might think that like this is this sounds like some tinfoil hat stuff. But in reality, it's not. In reality, the government themselves are the ones saying all this and talking about that. They're the ones rolling this out. So uh, I, I have I, I, it's like I said, it's complete speculation as to why these media outlets aren't reporting on it. Even people in the alternative media uh, really have uh, kind of not talked about it. There's a, I mean, a few of my friends in the industry have, but uh you know, it's it's not some big, widely talked about issue. And, it, and I think it should be. I think it's going to be one of the most pressing issues of our time in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, I really think it will be. And you, there's a fair point, actually. You don't really hear. Well, I don't know. Some people are starting to discuss it. Um, I see it's discussed on Tim Pool, like a reasonable amount. Luke, Luke Rikowski brings it up. So that's like a pretty, pretty pretty popular show that that covers it a fair bit thanks to yeah to luke yeah for sure Uh, but again like so luke is uh he's a friend of mine he's he's tied in with that conspiracy realm and like the i'm not i'm not saying he is tied in with it i'm saying he's he's spun by the 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 praetorian guard as as a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist and they do the same thing with tim pool you know they they call him alt-right so it's which is automatically any of that information (laughs) Like, what's that tim pool is like the most milk toast centrist like on the planet i know i know for real <laughs> <laughs> i think he even wants like uh universal basic income you know so <laughs> it's uh that's hardly alt-right <laughs> but then again everything you hate is 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 the other party yeah it really but, really becomes like that doesn't it it's like to what extent do you think that's ma- like the 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 to what extent do you think the polarization is manufactured? Because I was talking about this to someone the other day about how, you know, it's been, it's like it's swung back and forth in history a lot. Like, why is it necessarily social media that's made things so much worse? Like, but do you- I don't think it has. I think it's just put a magnifying glass to it. You know, the, the polarization is a function of the system. It's actually necessary for the, this system to flourish and authority is gained by people infighting and people disagreeing with each other all the whole time. Both parties are behind marble buildings, you know, smoking cigars, raping children and and drinking their whiskey. And the masses don't understand that, you know, when it comes to 
issues of like increasing the national debt or or starting wars like these are these are issues that affect everybody in the United States put us all in more debt and yet the left and the right completely agree upon all these things i mean we had you know Donald Trump he printed 6 trillion dollars and then or uh, several trillion dollars and Biden came right behind him Donald Trump uh he he fast tracked the the covid vaccine or warp speeded it rather and then here comes um Biden to to roll it out and yet in public, they're all hating each other. But behind the scenes, if you go look at OpenSecrets.com, you can see that the top two recipients in 2020 for, for pharmaceutical, namely vaccine donations or lobbying money, were both Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden. And this is, this is open information, but people are so tied to their, their, their tribe that they, don't, they, they can't see this. And if you try to point that out, like anytime, it's, it's hilarious, anytime I criticize Joe Biden on the on Twitter, you know, I get accused of being this this pro-Trump MAGA idiot or vice versa. If I talk, you know, say something about Donald Trump, like calling for the removal of due process like he did in 2018, I get accused of being this 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 libtar. (laughs) It's it's uh, it reminds me of this quote that I actually posted this quote this morning on Twitter from uh, H.L. Mencken. And it said, uh, under democracy, one party always devotes its chief energies to trying to prove that the other party is unfit to rule. Both are co- both commonly succeed and both are right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I mean, it, it really is. And, and that, like I said, this is a, it's a function of the system. Without it, the system would collapse because you couldn't have anybody to blame. They'd have to point their fingers at themselves. But this way they can they can point fingers at, you know, the different the other party. And uh, it's it's a shame that people can't see past that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully more and more people are. I like to think that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really, really curious as to like what exactly happens in the next two years or so, because 2024, uh, I believe the UK have we have our next election. And then, yeah, obviously you've got the, the 2024 presidential election. And I just, I can't see, well, I mean, I can, I totally can, but I want to, to see people like reject the two-party system in some way. And I'm just, I'm really curious as to whether something or someone on either side of the Atlantic is going to like capture the imagination of enough people to just be like, fuck it. Let this guy, like, how much worse could it get? Like, how bad a job could they possibly do? Like, do you remember the, the what happened with Brett Weinstein's Unity 2020 uh, campaign? They just got banned from Twitter. They just... Right. <laughs> like, the Taliban. For, for what? The for Taliban is fine. Posting... But, but a guy suggesting you should exit the two-party system is like, no. Right. And he tried to bring people together. I forgot the name of that movement, but it was, uh, yeah, it was literally like there's another option or something like that. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. no hate speech or anything like that. Yeah. And it was, is incredible. But there is some momentum to, to bring back the, to bring, you know, like a third party into it. But I mean, there needs to be far more than just three parties. Um, the co- consistently disappointing Andrew Yang is uh, an advocate for the third parties, you know, but every time it comes down to the wire, he just goes back and supports the, uh, the establishment yeah. candidate, which is, uh, is pretty crazy. But uh, Larry Sharp, he's, um, he's running for governor of New York. 
and uh, we had him on our podcast not too long ago. And he's he's spearheading this 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 third party movement. And it's largely the libertarians who are doing this, you know, like and the Green Party, too. They, they get it. They should get a little credit for that, too. But every time it comes down to the wire and they, they get a chance to go into the debate, they're just shunned out. You know, this was they when Ross Perot in 1986 um, took like 17 percent of the vote mm. from Bush, like that was a big deal. And so they made sure what they elect the Federal Election Commission that they couldn't have that happen again. So they they've put in all these checks that don't that disallow third parties from coming in there because they know that if a if we have more options and people have a wider array of subjects to talk about other than abortion, gun rights, and, you know, like just the few handful of hot button topics that the establishment likes to keep just throwing at us to keep us divided. Uh, if we have a broader, more peaceful discourse and, and, and people can actually start thinking for themselves, then that's a death blow to this current two party paradigm. And, you can't control people that actually think for themselves. So that's why I, I think that it's, I mean, we know that it's deliberate. We can just look at all the actions taken over the years and, and see that it's there. Every time something happens where the two party system is challenged, it's uh, both parties come together and they make sure that that third party knows that they even, even candidates within that party, who challenge, you know, like we can look at Tulsi Gabbard or Bernie Sanders and, um, that they're they're shunned by their own party because they challenge this that the status quo and even they they present like this aura of third party so mm. they're Russian agents I mean not Bernie Sanders I think Bernie Sanders is uh, I think maybe he plays along with this he's he's also a large recipient of pharmaceutical money and so I think he like goes in there takes a bunch of the votes and then backs out and endorses the candidate the the mainstream candidate which he's done like for both Clinton and Biden. So yeah, well, he definitely got screwed by them. He totally did. I mean, they, they shunned him out of the debates and everything. And he'll, I think there was a video back in 2015 of Hillary Clinton, like openly cheating <laughs> on C-SPAN, something like that to, to take yes, the votes they, away from they, Bernie. They supplied the questions to her in advance. Right. <laughs> uh, for one of the debates, I believe. And uh, yeah, and then she was uh, phoning friends at, oh, I can't remember who it was. It might have been like NBC or MSNBC get, trying to get like favorable coverage or like them to, you know, denounce Bernie. So there was, yeah, there was, there was plenty going on. And then, well. Yeah, it happened she, again this time around too. Well, yeah, so. yeah, it did. It did. But I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. the, it, that, that was even more, that was even more overt, like, though, it, that was more out in the open, like, it just, just openly known that, like, Barack Obama phoned all the other candidates that weren't Joe Biden, and were like, you gotta drop out, endorse Joe, thank you, bye. It's like, you want a career in the Democratic Party? Like, you do this now. Done. Mm -hmm. Like, they uh, all did, too. Even and Andrew all Yang. towed like, the well, fucking line. <laughs> the fucking bootlickers. Like, they all just did it. <laughs> It was so gross, dude. It was so gross. We had a uh, one of our social media managers back then was a big Andrew Yang supporter, and he had a hard time justifying the Yang's endorsement of Biden at the end, you know, and he was trying to. He's like, oh, well, screw, you got to do it. You know, you have to do it. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't have to do shit. Yeah, you don't have to do shit, man. And unfortunately, Tulsi Gabbard did the same thing. I think she actually came out later and and regretted it you know apologized she's like i shouldn't have done that but still at the time she did it yeah yeah i mean well not everyone's perfect but mm -hmm. but like the 
The other thing that the two parties both very much agree on is not only expanding the military budget and the, the sort of military-industrial uh, complex that, that continues to grow, even though we're supposedly meant to be pulling out of wars, um, uh, is the, the, the massive expansion of the, the surveillance state, like the, the, the power of the NSA over the past 20 years, um, and, and yeah, just the, the amount of resources poured into surveilling the citizens of, of your own country. And, you know, the same thing's happening in the UK as well, for if anyone has misconceptions about things being much better here. Um, it's like, worse there, as far as, as from what I know. The facial recognition cameras in, in London is just... It's out of this world. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> I will be trying to get someone on the podcast about that, actually. But, um, like, how powerful is this, like, homeland security apparatus, basically, and this intelligence apparatus that's being pointed at people? And why on earth are, is there not, like, more outrage about, like, the amount of spying that's done on, yeah, innocent you know, citizens. Well, if we don't let them spy on us, the terrorists are win. They hate our freedom. <laughs> but I mean, so I'm just, I'm just joking there. Uh, I mean, actually not, but <laughs> we could, uh, we could look back at it like over the last 20 years and, or a little bit longer. So when I was, when I was in the Marine Corps working under NSA, um, like I said, the NSA would give us targets, but oftentimes while we're scanning these frequencies, we come across friendly chatter, which is like, United States people. And you couldn't listen to that for more than just a few seconds once you determined that it was that it was friendly chatter, right? That's it was illegal. And if you got caught listening to American chatter, you could go to jail for many years. And now it's the exact opposite of that, right? The NSA solely exists to spy on Americans. We have this massive data collection center in Utah that that allegedly saves all text and and voice calls and recordings and everything. And it needs to be cooled by all this water. Like there's it's, it's grown immensely. And nine 11 was the, the catalyst for that, you know? And I think that after the war ended in Afghanistan, um, kind of, uh, they, they started this push with domestic terrorism as the new impetus behind the expansion of the surveillance and police state. So it's always been there. They've just been waiting for new reasons to do it, you know, and they, we saw under COVID, they did the same thing. <clears throat> and like the, where I, I forgot a, a specific example, but could the COVID was used as a, as more of a fuel to the fire to expand the surveillance state, especially with like the, with, you know, vaccine passports and everything like that. People were lining up left and right so they could, just do their part and show their phone on the, you know, to get in. So I can drink Starbucks now because I have my vaccine passport. And that was a, a, just a, it's just a, a little way to ease in and inch in and, and get people to accept more and more of that. And I think that where it's going is this complete digital society where we're all on CBDCs and, all digital identifications. It's all on our phone or maybe eventually a chip because that's what these people are talking about. And if you look back 20 years ago, you'd never think that like that there'd be this thing called Facebook and the, they directly feed your information to the FBI or the CIA or the Department of Homeland Security. But that's exactly what's happening, right? The, just this week, um, there was an article in the Hill where Facebook and Twitter both deleted several fake profiles that they found were fake. 
And it turns out they belong to the Department of Homeland Security. So the, not, the government's not only dictating to Facebook what they need to do to collect the information on, but the Department of Homeland Security is actively circumventing that actual those channels that they have established already and doing their own surveillance on there. You know, it's <laughs> it's mind blowing to me how far this has gone. Even if you look back five years ago, we never thought that it would come to this vaccine passports. Are you kidding me, dude? Five years ago, no one would have everybody. Ninety percent of the country would have been completely against anything like that. Now we have people like you should if you don't get a vaccine passport, you should, you should be locked up in jail. You know, that's that's where we've gone from this. And it's this incremental little taking baby steps and baby steps. And then I know it's the frog boiling analogy, but I mean, it's that's the perfect analogy for all of this, because it's exactly what's happening there. There's if they did it all overnight and then put cameras in everybody's faces overnight, there'd be a revolt. But they do it piece by piece and they keep using the different emergencies they keep yeah. creating these emergencies to to usher in this tyranny and that's what like Ram emmanuel said back famously you know never let a good tragedy go to waste and they certainly haven't we've we've used everything monkeypox you know like we're which <laughs> is like a non-issue yeah. they're using that like to 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 roll out more vaccine passes and everything else it's just it's mind-blowing to me that people are so accepting of this and I mean, and that's that's why I I'm optimistic that people will wake up to it, and I I see people waking up to it. I just don't see what there could be done after it's already out. Like right now, like we know the NSA spies on us. Can you stop it? I mean, not really. You can use VPNs. You could use like those uh, burner phones, I guess. But even then, man, like the, the cops have stingrays. They have all like there there's this entire police state apparatus that, that has built up largely unopposed by both the left and the right, because they use the nine 11 as the impetus and they, they just switch. They use, they're using domestic terrorism now. So they appeal to both sides to be able to Im implement these Orwellian tactics. And by the time, you know, enough people wake up to it, I don't see a way of resisting it. I, which that kind of sucks to say that, you know, but I'm not sure that we'll have a way out after that. Oh, there's always a way back. Oh, there's a, there's Hopefully. a, it, I it's mean, complete it withdrawal. Be, That's the only way, you know, like I don't see that. I don't see that system stopping or reversing any of these policies. It's going to go until it implodes or until there's like a massive revolt. And I don't want Either. a violent revolt, you know, like I think that that would be like horrifying, uh, as for society, I have children, you know, I don't want any of that stuff to happen. <laughs> so like that, but screaming. like I said, I mean, I just don't see a peaceful way or even with enough people waking up of how we're going to stop this unless we have drastic, some kind of revolution inside the system. That's the only way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The people, the people screaming loudest for the revolution are also the ones that would last the, the least amount of time in it. <laughs> ironically right. yeah not really <laughs> uh, and if you look back through through history man there's like if you go back 20 years right to where and you told people the level of surveillance that would be in their lives they would be so unbelievably uncomfortable about that and it, yeah it's, that's what i'm saying it's if you, crazy you that just imagine pre-9-11 yeah it say like the government's gonna just listen to your phone all the time yeah they're going to watch everything you do. They're going to be they're going to have a camera and have the ability to to look at you through that camera in your own house. 
Like people would be like, shut up. This yeah, is man. not 1984. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately that's where we are. Yeah. Well, um, that's well, if a slightly bit, slightly, de- uh, slightly depressing note, perhaps on which to end, but well, uh, maybe you've got something more I can, positive let me, let me, let me. I think that people need to, to do their best to prepare for situation like this, that's coming right there's you could still live a very good life and you could still function outside of this system you just have to prepare for it and like so i always say you know prepare for the uh worst but hope for the best and if you're not prepared i think that'd just be a, a silly move so i don't think that there's this dystopian future coming towards us i think that it won't be largely dystopian i think that most people will accept it until one day they don't and then they're going to wake up and like what the hell do we do why do we do this? You know, so I don't think that, you know, I don't think there's going to be concentration camps or anything like that. Like, I don't want to end on a bad note. You, you had me. I don't want to say that. Like, it's not, it's not that bleak. I just, cause like, like we just said, there's cameras, there's, there's spying right now. And still most people live largely normal lives. Hmm. There's just, that's no reason to accept it though. And I think that even we'll still live largely normal lives, but with a government camera up our ass. So I, I just, that's the future I don't want. You know, I don't want the government's camera up my ass. So you could, there's ways to prepare. Like, you, you know, you go off grid, you can do homesteading, you could do all these different things. And, and there's the solutions to keep living a happy life without all that mess. Well, yeah, that's a much nicer way, way to end things. So Matt, <laughs> um, is there anything you want to point people towards specifically uh, apart from, yeah, the free thought project, which I will put the link for in the description. Uh, man, just the free thought project. You can follow us. We're on little, uh, literally every platform, all the, even the, like the, the third party ones, if you will, like float me, we minds. We're on uh we're on all those. We're even on the right wing ones, left wing ones. You could, you could find us anywhere. Um, and yeah. Uh, oh, uh, speaking of going off grid, we have like these, we usually, we have like these, this big conglomerate of people that we've had on our podcast and everything like, uh, Derek bros, Jack Spiro, John Bush, they all specialize in teaching people how to defeat this upcoming, you know, this, this digital surveillance state. And um, right now they're they're They put all their work together and we're helping them push that. You can go to the free thought project and it's like a lot of, it's like thousands of dollars worth of work from all these people. And you can get it for really cheap right now. If you go there, I, I know it sounds like a shameless plug, but I mean, it's, it's a really beneficial it's like everything we believe in and we've been promoting for years and it's um so you can check that out well that's fine go for the shit yeah shameless plugs are sweet um (laughs) don't worry about it be shameless about it but yeah man (laughs) thanks very much for your time it's been it's been a pleasure yeah sure has john josh thank you for having me on man thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast if you want to leave us a comment that would be awesome please like share subscribe and if you're listening on apple please leave us a review Until next time, thanks for listening.